Hello and welcome to another episode of Policy Pod. In this episode, we'll be speaking to Dr. Natasha Campling and Professor Sue Lasser around uh, ways to be able to improve access to medicines supporting palliative care at home. Uh, we'll start with a with the traditional question: What did you do for A levels, Sue? What did I do for A levels? So I'm casting my mind back. I did uh, human biology. And I did psychology, which seemed to go together reasonably well. And my outlier was probably English, because I loved English. And uh, in fact, I had a dilemma between whether to go to university to study English, uh, because I liked it and I was quite good at it, or whether to pursue the science route. So in the end, I chose what I thought would be the practical route and went down the science route, but still carry a love of English and literature with me. And where, uh, where did you go off to do your undergraduate degree? So in the days when nursing degrees weren't very common and they weren't offered by many universities, I went to up to London to um, what was then Chelsea College, uh, which is now King's College in London, so part of the University of London. And uh, we were a small group of 35 and we had some fantastic uh, sort of world-leading nurse academics teachers. And I suppose my love of research started there when I my undergraduate dissertation in that small class of 35 all those years ago. And from from there you went into practice? For a short while, yes. Uh, I was a staff nurse in uh, at St George's Hospital in, in London, which was where our uh, clinical side of undergraduate teaching was. Um, but my love was in the community, so I quite quickly trained as a, a health visitor, which is someone who visits families with under fives at home and started to think much more about the sort of preventative promotion side of things, which was which was my passion, I suppose, really, and the community was too. But my uh, love of research took me back to university quite quickly after that. So I spent probably several years as a health visitor working in South London and then um, was still in touch with my undergraduate supervisor, who was quite keen to pull me back for a PhD. So as soon as she got some funding for a PhD, uh, I went back and uh, I've stayed in academia ever since, but still with a love of of nursing practice, particularly community and uh, all things health promotion, really. And Natasha, so what did you do for your A-levels? Ah, so I did all arts A-levels and I did history, history of art and geography. And actually that suited me really well because I went on to do my undergraduate nursing degree at the University of Edinburgh and the, the Scottish system, you can do outside subjects. So I maintained some of my history and I did social history for two years and I did history of art for a year as well. And I think it's given me um, a philosophy in relation to healthcare in general that where I personally really feel that there's a particular value in combining that debate of um, most healthcare and professions being focused on both an art and a science. So there's a there's a nice strong humanities mm. bent to this this research project. And as a, uh, a humanities student myself many moons ago as well, I, I think mm. that's clearly why we get on so well as a working group. <laughs> right? So. Um, uh, so, spooling forward from uh, uh, from uh, experience of, uh, of of nursing for you, how did you find your way back to the academy, Natasha? Ah, so um, I ended up working as a cancer and palliative care nurse at the uh, Royal Marsden in London um, once I had finished my undergraduate degree and I worked there for a few years and I also did their specialist qualification which I think was a a really great um, education in relation to the nature of cancer and palliative care as a whole and then um, I think 
I knew that I liked being an academic and I went to talk to a professor who was at King's College London who actually um, is one of the um, co-applicants for the ACTMED study that we're here to talk about um, and that was Alison Richardson and she drew me back into um, academia and I ended up working for her on a couple of projects and eventually ended up doing my PhD at King's College London so I stayed there for a while. To a common thread of kings and uh, and humanities, then. Um, so um, uh, there was a lovely, neat segue there to to Ahmed. So maybe we should get to to understand a bit more about the project. So what what does Ahmed seek to uh, to understand? In essence, it's about how people access medicines in the community in the last twelve months of their life. Um, exploring it from healthcare professionals' perspectives, from patients and carers' perspectives and also trying to understand which model of care or what types of services best support rapid access to medicines uh, in, delivered into people's homes in the last 12 months of their life. And that idea came out of uh, a previous project where we'd been looking at how to help uh, patients and carers self-manage medicines at home in the community. And as a, a byproduct of that, really, we heard through interviewing them that um, access was often problematic, um, delayed, burdensome, difficult to get prescriptions sometimes, uh, community pharmacy stock was sometimes unreliable. So we thought we need to have a, have a an in-depth uh, look at this, look at this issue. Okay. And, and who's the, who's the prescriber in this scenario? This is the GPs issuing, issuing scripts. So GPs doing house visits, is that how this is this is working? That's a good question. So what we're moving towards is a, a multi-professional prescriber workforce. So that the sort of the model where the GP was the sole prescriber, the only source of prescriptions, the person who visited at home is something we're leaving behind now, really. And it's becoming a more uh, diverse picture. Nurses who have trained uh, to become prescribers, can prescribe medicines independently, directly to patients um, in a variety of settings, including their homes. Um, pharmacists can now prescribe. So pharmacists working in community pharmacies, uh, pharmacists who are based in GP practices. Um, and we've, we've also got both specialist nurses who can prescribe, so those who speci specialise in palliative and end-of-life care, but also... Um, what many people will know as district nurses, um, can also prescribe directly to patients. So we were interested in how are those different types of prescribing working? Um, and as I say, what best supports patients to uh, access those medicines whilst at home? So Natasha, what are the key findings from ACMED? Oh, so that's a good question. So I think we found, uh, looking at those different models of accessing prescriptions um, and services that Sue mentioned, that there was a bit of an over-reliance on GP prescribing in particular, um, and arguably a, an underdevelopment of nurse prescribing in this area, but also um, alongside that, pharmacist prescribing as well. And what do you think the reasons are for these these other groups who could be prescribing um, uh, and are not? So from our survey and from the, the, the in-depth work that we did with teams of, of nurses and other prescribers, it seemed to us that because many of the nurses are employed by hospices who are sometimes outside of NHS funding and outside of NHS systems, that was um, 
putting a ceiling really on their ability to, well, both the numbers of nurses who were going off to train to prescribe because the funding wasn't there. Sometimes they weren't able to be replaced if they went off on nurse prescribing training courses. So there weren't as many of them as we'd like to see. In addition, nurses in particular uh, seem to be outside of the NHS electronic prescribing systems, so they weren't able to prescribe electronically. They were still having to write out prescriptions by hand, which we found was delaying access through um, the patient then having to take, or the carer having to take the prescription to a pharmacy. So what we've argued is that there should be more equitable access for nurses, pharmacists and doctors across the board to be able to access electronic prescribing systems. The other thing we think was having an impact on the number of prescriptions that nurses were issuing was that the shared access to electronic patient records was also not as well developed uh, as we would like. So nurses couldn't access GP records. Um, Sometimes GPs couldn't access out-of-hours records. Nurses working in hospices couldn't access nurses who were working within the NHS systems records. And clearly, if you're going to prescribe a medicine, you need to be able to check the patient's clinical history and their their medical history, their drug history, in order to safely and effectively prescribe. So that was also acting as a challenge um, to nurses uh, impacting on their ability to to prescribe it as fully as we might have liked. My assumption would be that more people prescribing reduces workload on GPs who we know are under an incredible amount of of strain um, and that this would be quite a useful uh, um, uh, uh, benefit to the system overall to be able to uh, allow and empower others to be able to best access to those uh, those scripts, right? Very much so. I mean, it's it's often the nurses who are carrying out the majority of, of this work in patients' homes um, and it would divert workload, as you say, off GPs if they could prescribe directly to patients supported by the, the electronic system that I've just mentioned. Um, we had an economist on the team who um, did some modelling of the costs of different models of prescribing too. And his conclusion was that actually GP services cost considerably more. If we model that over a five-year period and the number of prescriptions that are likely to prescribe for people in the last 12 months of a life, it would actually save quite a lot of money if we had more uh, nurse uh, prescribing and less reliance on on the doctor workforce in that respect. Um, and and as the study was completed, what what engagement with um, uh, with patients did you have, Natasha? Um, that's really important, and it was really core to our data collection in each of the different um, case studies that we undertook in the study. And in particular, we found that. Um, it became, accessing medicines became quite time-consuming and burdensome for patients and their families. Family members were in particular drawn in in relation to the collection of medicines and and sometimes taking prescriptions to around different pharmacies to access medicines. And actually, um, given the context of the study being the last year of people's lives, um, our study data is relatively unusual in that we followed patients and their carers for a couple of months. You know, one thinks about those 
those uh, uh, final months of, of somebody's life and the idea that family members are needing to dash from one pharmacy to another to try and get medication at a time of enormous emotional pressure but also just that um, uh, wanting to spend as much time as possible with their uh, with their loved one this this feels a, 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 a really poor situation that we find ourselves in at the moment how um, how else was the uh, was the voice of the user uh, captured during the course of the uh, the project so so right from the get-go really when we started writing the bid we thought it would be really important to have someone who could uh, inform what we were doing through talking to us about what the issues were so we uh, recruited someone through um, people in research uh, who became a a co-applicant on the bid and um, she was great all the way through she had looked after someone her husband actually who had um, previously died of, of cancer so she had experience of being a carer and understood the issues about trying to get medicines in, into the home at the end of life. So she was with us as part of the team all the way through. Really important too that we had two fantastic um, patient and public involvement contributors to our study steering group and they were actively engaged all the way through telling us their stories, what was important to them, what was their experience. One of our um, patient and public contributors uh, lived in rural Wales so she told us for example the importance of being able to get hold of someone on the phone 24 hours a day when you can't actually have anyone visiting your home. So they were great, weren't they, all the way through and kept us focused on track on, on the issues of importance to people. So this project, is, as with so many that we've been talking about on this um, series of policy pod, uh, somewhat disrupted by COVID. Um, what, what's changed in terms of attitudes towards uh, prescribing in the, in the home during that period of time? Is there, is there the glimmer of a, of, of a silver lining to the, uh, the chaos of the last Uh, Yeah, I mean, the pandemic's taught us a lot in many different ways, hasn't it? And um, I mean, what happened during the pandemic was more people died at home. Um, Many didn't want to go into hospital. We know this through research now because uh, they're going to be separated from their families, obviously increased infection risk. So um, in some ways, it accelerated this issue that we're interested in. Um, More nurses had to Uh, deal with medicines with patients in the home uh, during a very rapid dying phase I think and um, so it brought into focus the issue. Not sure it really increased the amount of nurses who were prescribing because that's a bit of a longer longer issue but we did hear of examples where of good practice that we hope might have been taken forward. Um, For example um, it accelerated some nurses access to electronic prescribing so it it drove that that forward Um, other really good examples of good practice um, colleagues in Wales told us about um, community hubs for storing medicines because they were in short supply and there was a need to rationalise them Um, so there there were models where medicines were cited in the community so that they were only 30 minutes away from any particular patient's home at any particular point in time and so they could be drawn on um, to get into into patients' homes quite quickly. Um, So we're we're hoping some of those shining example models have have persisted. So... You've given a really neat summary of the um, of the challenge, and indeed of what the the study has been able to uh, to understand in more detail. What do you want to change? What we've said in our report and and in the policy brief is that we'd like to see 
um, an acceleration in the training of nurse and possibly pharmacist prescribers. Um, we'd like to see more support given to hospices and other organisations that employ community nurses to fund them, to make sure that they're able to attend the study that's required so that they can train as prescribers and start really fully contributing um, as competent, um, supported prescribers in the home. But that won't be any good unless we actually also support them with the um, electronic infrastructure that's needed to help them prescribe. So as I said earlier, access to electronic prescribing systems and access to shared patient records. So that's one big key issue that we'd like to think that people will take up and drive forward. Absolutely. So I think it's important to look also about the supply into community pharmacies and our data demonstrated that were a series of problematic issues in relation to pharmacists getting stocks. They were working with multiple um, different distributors and wholesalers and that um, created an onerous level of work for them. So I think in particular, we need to be looking at the supplies on a much more national level in terms of maintaining appropriate stocks so that things don't become short in the supply chain. And we found too that what needs to happen is there needs to be a more reliable stock of um, palliative care medicines in more pharmacies, more equally spread. And there needs to be some kind of rationalisation to the incredibly diverse and um, long number of medicines that some of them stock. So we're arguing for a a more universal uh, distribution of community pharmacies that stock these medicines and and probably a smaller core list of, of those medicines. Super. Okay. So I think that's a a really neat summary of some very clear um, uh, policy objectives that increase to to workforce and the ability to overcome some of those challenges of getting people trained to increase the size of the workforce. Um, And then availability and supply of of the right um, uh, 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 drugs for people in the right places where, where people need them. Thanks very much for coming in. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks very much for listening to today's policy pod. If you'd like to leave feedback for us or leave a comment, please feel free to do so on your chosen platform. And if you'd like to find out more information about our work, you can visit www.southampton.ac.uk forward slash public policy. Mm-hmm.